Hello for listeners and welcome back to My Fabulous Blind Life. I'm Nicole, your host. Today we're going to be talking about my adoption process. I remember when our first foster child was removed from our house, I said to my mom that I felt like I wanted to have a baby, but because I was very shortly having weight loss surgery, I didn't want to have to get pregnant. My mom told me, I really don't know how you're going to manage that one. It just so happened that one of my mother's foster daughters who had a baby was unfortunately going to jail. She wanted us to adopt her baby, and we pretty much thought this would be a sure thing. We even went out and bought everything we needed for a nursery, and we themed it after Winnie the Pooh. We were very discouraged and upset when that adoption fell through. The very next thing we know, we get a phone call to take a teen mom who had just given birth and her baby came a week later. It was really good that we already had the nursery completely set up because this baby came with absolutely nothing. I find it strange sometimes how things work out. Once we were made the pre-adoptive home for Jesse, our real journey to parenthood began. Our adoption process gets actually rather complicated, and I think some backstory and history is needed here before we move on. When I first moved to Washington after I lost my sight, my mom applied for adult home care services. She took classes so she could be my adult care provider. In the beginning, my mother's hours were a lot because I needed so much help with everything that I did. The state even remodeled her bathroom to be handicapped accessible for me. My mother got paid for all these adult care hours, which was actually a big help to my parents. My mom, if she wanted to stay home and help me recover, could not return to work. And my stepfather had actually just finished rehab classes, and he had just gone back to work after being off for several years. The money greatly helped my parents make ends meet and it enabled my mom to stay home with me and take care of me full time. Now, I had a worker that usually came out to see me about once a year to reevaluate my adult care needs. As time went on with each evaluation, as I became more independent, my hours of course went down. I truly liked my caseworker and I would talk to her about pretty much everything. When my caseworker first met me, she asked how I lost my sight, and I told her about my whole journey and how I was now in the middle of a medical malpractice lawsuit. I remember talking to her in detail and telling her when my lawsuit had settled and that my money was supposed to be considered compensation for the loss of my eyesight. I also told her as far as I knew, my settlement money was not supposed to be considered income. Now, there was also paperwork that came every year, but I always let my mother handle that part. I never really questioned my mother, but apparently this paperwork is what would cause me the most problems in the future, and I will explain it as we go along. I received adult care services for several years, and as I said, as time went on, my hours would go down. My mother would always get worried that I wouldn't have enough help and she would always appeal these hours. But, unfortunately, I just kept getting more independent and pretty soon the hours were so small they didn't even really matter anymore. Now, I 
I think my mother would have helped me whether she got paid or not. I remember during my wedding planning, I would talk with my caseworker about all my plans, show her all my samples. I'm pretty confident I even invited my worker to my wedding. After my wedding, I shared my wedding photos with her and I remember there was a comment made about how expensive my wedding must have been. When she mentioned how expensive my wedding was, I remember saying, yes, it was pretty expensive, but I used my settlement to pay for it. Now, when I moved into my house, my worker came out to assess me once again. I remember telling her everything that had been going on with us and that we were currently in the process of becoming foster parents and getting licensed. I showed her around my house and mentioned to her that the foster care licensor had just been out a few days previous and that I had told him my mother was my adult services worker. I also disclosed to the foster care licensor that my mom received some money for helping me out a few hours a week. Now, I didn't really think anything of it when my worker came out and we were speaking about all this stuff, and I just thought it was another home visit. A few days later, I got a phone call from my caseworker's boss. She informed me that I could not be a foster parent and have adult care services. I inquired as to why. She said that adult care services were considered nursing home level care and that you were considered an invalid if you had them. I said, what? Pretty much yelling at her. I'm not an invalid, goddammit. I just need a few couple hours a week to help me out. She said, well, that really wasn't possible. So I told her, fine, then cancel my services. I don't need them. Then, a few days after that phone call, the foster parent licensor called me and inquired about my adult care services. She again told me that if I was under adult care services, which classified me as an invalid, I couldn't take foster children in. I told him that I canceled the services and that we would rather be foster parents instead. And truly, I thought that was the end of it. Now going back to baby Justin, I wanted to make sure that he had every service possible that he qualified for. Now, getting these services was not an easy feat. Getting him qualified was actually the problem. I wanted to make sure Jesse had all these services so he could have his best chance. Now, it always seemed every time I had Jesse evaluated, he falled a few points below the marker to qualify for services. To some, it was very apparent that he needed a little extra help, and to others, not so obvious. I still marched on though, and James and I even provided some of the therapy at home that he was denied. By nine months old, he was still struggling how to crawl. He couldn't quite get the coordination of crawling down. His elk therapist at the time gave us these hot pink biker shorts that were stitched together at the knee to help Jesse learn the coordination for crawling. After about a month in these pants for a couple hours a day, he finally got the crawling down. At 18 months, we took Jesse to be evaluated by a behavioral therapist. They told us that they suspected he most likely had attention hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. 
They said at this young age, there's really nothing you can do but appropriate play therapy. We bought every learning tool and toy that was suggested to us. And Jesse had some amazing therapists that worked with both him and us tirelessly to help us learn all these different techniques. One of the biggest problems we seemed to have was around food. It almost seemed like Jesse's tongue was too big for his mouth and he couldn't figure out how to eat. We had a special spoon that we used to feed him that helped press down the tongue and allowed Jesse to chew and swallow. Much like his hot pink biker pants, this spoon basically trained him to use the muscle that was needed to do the task that he was trying to do. He was also really congested all the time. I kind of felt like he had just a cold 24-7. It was pretty frustrating. He had trouble breathing and he did a lot of mouth breathing. I took him to doctor after doctor after doctor and just kept getting sent away with different things to try. Finally, the doctor referred us to an ear, nose, and throat specialist, and this specialist suggested that we remove his tonsils, adenoids, and put new ear tubes in his ears. Holy shit, what a difference this made for Jesse. He was actually able to breathe through his nose, and he didn't have to labor to breathe. We found out that his tonsils and adenoids were actually rather huge. The doctor had even commented about the 16-year-old's tonsils and adenoids he had taken out that morning and how Jesse's were double that size. The doctor had speculated that the adenoids is what had caused Jesse so much breathing trouble in his early life and that his tonsils is what caused him so much trouble learning how to eat. When we found all this out, I think Jesse was about two and a half years old. A few other issues we experienced was impulsivity, transitioning from one task to another, mood fluctuations, meltdowns, and tantrums. I asked for medical help or intervention for each and every one of these behaviors. Some suggestions worked, some didn't. I listened to each and every book I could get my hands on. I also took every class the state offered that I could find, and I joined every parent support group out there that was available to me. Now, when it came to our adoption study, I had to jump through a few more hoops than most people do. I think this was due to my vision. They wanted to know how I did things on my own. They wanted me to go through everything and show them how I did certain things. This was a tedious and grueling task. I had to go through all the different systems I had set up in the house to function. I think Jesse was probably about 10 months old when they did this adoption study. I had to show them how I had the oatmeal and rice cereal separated into two different Tupperwares, and each Tupperware had the letter on top of it marked in Shogti so I could see it. I also had to show them how all the baby food was lined up in rows, and I knew what each row was. And if I forgot, all I had to do was look on the lid because, of course, I had marked each and every lid with Sharpie with a letter of what was in that baby food container. I had to show them how I had the 
baby diaper changing table arranged and how I functioned there. I also had to show how I administered medication if needed. It seemed they were pretty happy with it and they were also happy with all our other answers to their questions and all the baby proofing measures we had taken met their qualifications. We also thought of every scenario that we could of issues that we might have with my vision. We went over every safety plan that we thought of and we were also pretty honest with them saying this was our first time and any problems that would come up we would of course think of a safety plan and tackle it head on. It seemed to take a really long time to get news back about our adoption study. I spoke with other adoptive parents who told me they didn't think it should really be taking that long. I think Jesse was probably about a year old when we finally heard back from them and then the other shoe dropped. The first thing that happened was two professional looking older gentlemen knocked on our door. I answered and they said, hello, we're looking for Nicole Kiliona Guillermo. And I said, well, I'm her. These two gentlemen told me that they were from the fraud division and that I was currently being investigated for welfare fraud. Oh, they told me I didn't have to speak to them, but I opened my door and said, come on in. I have nothing to hide. They then asked me if I knew what this had to do with. Um, nope, don't know. They told me that they were there due to my adult care services and that I had had too much money to actually qualify to get them. I then said, wait, I don't understand what you're talking about. They told me that apparently I had not disclosed money that I had received from the medical malpractice lawsuit. I told them, yes, I did. I told my caseworker that I was involved in a medical malpractice lawsuit and I informed her when it flipping settled. They then inquired about the paperwork and I said, well, I didn't fill out the paperwork because, well, I'm blind. My mother took care of all that. Then they asked me why James had just applied for medical services. Now, where James is concerned, I told them that he had cut his hand and at the time he had no medical insurance. When we got the bill, I called the hospital and asked could we please set up a payment plan. The hospital said before they could help us with a payment plan, we had to apply for medical through the state and get denied first. They then inquired if we were able to set up a payment plan. I told them no. Once we got the denial from the state, the hospital decided to write off James's emergency room visit as unpaid for medical or something along those lines. I then told them James is working and he now has medical insurance. Once we found out all this information, I inquired with the investigators what happened next. They said I would continue to be investigated and then I would be notified of the results. I didn't really think anything of it because I didn't think I had done anything wrong. We really didn't think anything of it and we moved on with our life. James had been working at Walmart under a seasonal basis and then was hired full time. I made James get a job because I wanted to make sure I could care for Jesse at home alone. This actually went really well and it increased my confidence in my parenting skills despite my blindness.
At this time, we also decided not to take any more foster kids in so we could focus all of our time on Jesse. At about the same time, we got a notice in the mail saying we were being charged with fraud and conspiracy to commit welfare fraud. It also gave us a notice to appear in court. This new news, of course, threw a wrench in our adoption process. First, I went to meet with the lead investigator on my case without an attorney present. I wanted to try and have some sort of resolution conference with her. Well, let's just say tensions were high between my mother and the lead investigator on my case, who we will call Miss Luhu. My mom basically went into the room hot and told Miss Luhu that none of this was kept a secret, that my caseworker knew about my settlement, and that this money was considered compensation for a loss and could not be counted as income. Well, Miss Lou Who had a different opinion. She told us, no, you're a family of criminals that are being charged with felonies and you're going to jail. As I'm sitting there trying to choke back tears and Jesse is running around me, I said, look, I don't know what happened here, but your paperwork claims that I owe $60,000 plus, and if I received services when I wasn't entitled to them, I feel absolutely awful about that. I continued to tell her I would like to write a check and give the money back. Well, Miss Luhu said, nope, you're going to court. So we left. And on the way home, my mother is, of course, ranting and raving. All I could think about was little Jesse in the back seat and how his life was about to be turned upside down because of all of this. I went home and spoke with James, and we finally sought legal counsel. We then took on the painstaking task of going through all the paperwork that the state had sent us. This process was so incredibly hard for me and James, and I think it took us about two weeks to get through all of the paperwork. What it basically boils down to is this. My settlement, according to the state, instead of being considered compensation for a loss, they considered it unearned income. My mother, of course, had never declared my settlement on any of this paperwork. And on the paperwork, there is a line that says, by penalty of perjury. And, of course, this paperwork was signed by myself, my mother, and even James at times. In going through the paperwork, it also seemed like I actually never qualified for services because my grandparents had set me up an IRA account when I was 16 years old. To be honest, I never really even thought or considered my IRA um, because my grandparents had told me it was for retirement and I was never to touch it. They had actually set up IRAs for all of their grandkids when they turned 16. Whether or not my mother knew about this still remains to be seen. Apparently, according to the state, I should have cashed out my IRA before applying for services. To this day, I don't understand the mentality of this thinking. Cash out your retirement services so you can apply for state services, but then you have no money at retirement either. Now, from what it looked like on paper, it absolutely definitely looked like a crime had actually been committed. 
James and I actually saw this pretty clearly. My mother, on the other hand, had very different thoughts and views about it. James and I met for the first time with the man we will call Mr. Red, who would represent us through this whole fiasco in the 10 plus years that it took. The next thing I know, my adoption case is being pulled out of the local office by a supervisor and moved up to the district office. She, the supervisor that pulled it, assigned us a special adoption worker who was there to evaluate our case and make a decision regarding our adoption. I met with multiple different supervisors and we had lengthy conversations. I told them my situation and that I knew how it looked and that I really wanted to give the money back. But Mrs. Luhu, our special investigator on our case, seemed hell-bent on sending me to jail. Some of you might be thinking, with all this going on, why would they even consider adopting to us? Well, let me try and explain it to you. By the time all of this happened, we hadn't actually even been charged yet. So the state was basically working from a hypothetical point of view if any of this actually happened or went down. Now, when you're becoming licensed to be a foster parent, a felony conviction actually doesn't rule you out. The only reason it would ever rule you out is if your crime was against a child. So once again, I tell you the state was working from a hypothetical where charges haven't even been filed yet. We met with our new special adoption worker and we talked in great length about our situation. She asked us to tell us or tell her our side and we tried to break it down for her and make it as simple as possible. We explained to her that back then there was so much going on in our lives that it was just easier for us to let my mom fill out the paperwork. We never really thought anything of it and we never questioned her. We always just signed the paperwork when she asked. Now in the few times that James had to fill out the paperwork, he basically called her and she instructed him how to fill it out. James really hated paperwork and it may as well have been written in a different language for all he understood. Were we stupid and naive back then? Absolutely. James and I felt extremely guilty and we truly just wanted to resolve the issue. We had various different lengthy discussions with our attorney on how we could quickly resolve this issue. But unfortunately, in each scenario we discussed, it all included my mom pleading guilty or to a lesser charge, and my mom absolutely was not going to do that. The three of us couldn't even have the same attorney because we had such opposing views. My mom had to have her own attorney, and she was under the impression that she had done nothing wrong that my settlement was never kept a secret from my worker and the um, money that I had gotten was not considered income, therefore she did not have to report it. My mother never understood or accepted that my settlement to the state was actually considered unearned income and absolutely 100% needed to be reported. Now, where my worker is concerned, my mom is absolutely 100% right. We never kept my settlement from her, 
and we did tell her everything about it, but she had never mentioned a word to us. We found out much later down the line in the case that my worker actually claimed I had never reported or said anything to her, and if I had, it didn't matter because financial issues were not hers to determine. Needless to say, with my mother being such a stubborn ass, the prosecution would not make a deal with me and James to resolve this issue. We were so very frustrated by this time and it really seemed like the prosecution wanted to make an example out of us. It also seemed that they leaned really heavily in favor of, I guess you could say, convicting my mom more so than me and James. My mother had been ruffling feathers pretty much at the state level since she had become a foster parent. And actually, when James and I became foster parents, we suffered some prejudice by some workers whose feathers she had ruffled when we became foster parents. It actually took me a long time as my mother's daughter to pretty much shake that name or shadow as my own foster parent. Um, it also seemed to me that our special investigator, Miss Luhu, really, really wanted us to go to jail, especially my mother. I can't remember when we were actually charged and went to court and were arraigned, but I do know when we were, there was a no contact order placed between my mom and me and James. We couldn't talk to her and she couldn't talk to us, which made things very, very difficult on our family because I still relied on her for quite a bit. My stepfather and James were working at this time and any appointments or errands I needed to do, I still relied on with my mom. No contact order created some uncomfortableness for our family for a couple of weeks, but we went back to court and asked the judge to lift it due to the dynamics of our family. Thankfully, when we went to court, the judge understood and lifted the no contact order because we would be in and out of court with continuance after continuance for the next several years. Unfortunately, this case took a huge toll on my family. James and I did not see things from my mother's point of view, and no matter how many times I tried to explain and show my family what actually happened, I would always hear the same flippin' question. So, you think your mom's a criminal and did this on purpose? I would always answer no. I don't think anything was done intentionally, but an egregious mistake was made. And whether we are guilty or not guilty doesn't really matter because the mistake was made and we owe the money back. It didn't ever really matter what I said. I was always shut down. And to this day, my family cannot discuss this case without a huge fight breaking out. Um, and during all of this, James and I are, of course, trying to adopt Jesse. Things were actually looking pretty good for us. Our, um, once our case was pulled up to the district office and we were assigned the special adoption worker who actually seemed to be somewhat sympathetic with our case and understand what was happening, this new adoption worker actually told us that she was going to recommend our adoption go ahead and push forward. James and I were so relieved. Um, we actually decided to take a two-week vacation to Hawaii to um, see a bunch of my family and introduce Jesse 
to James's father. When we returned, though, a huge bag of bricks was dropped on our head. When we returned, our adoption worker informed us that she had actually changed her mind and her supervisor that had actually pulled our case up to the district office had been removed from the case. Apparently, while we were gone, our special adoption worker met with Ms. Luhu and they went over all the paperwork in our case. She had decided for herself that we were absolutely 100% guilty before we even went to court. She informed me that they would be starting visits with Jesse with a new adoptive family immediately. Um, I straight up told her to fuck off. <laughs> and then she says, well, we can remove him right now then. I said, no. Jesse needs to be transitioned slowly because of what happened to him the last time. My brother was out the house when I received this information and when I was done with the conversation, I basically dropped to the floor crying. Um, the very next day, James and I woke up and went to consult with an attorney and tell them what was happening. He took our case on the spot and jumped straight into action. The state was actually expecting us to bring Jesse to the office that day to start his visit with his new pre-adoptive home. Instead, they got a phone call from our attorney. That whole day is a blur to me, and I don't know how it happened, but we had got the state to agree not to move Jesse until our court date the very next week, and we had also gotten them to agree to have the new pre-adoptive family come do visits with Jesse in our home. We wanted to do the visits at our house to make Jesse more comfortable due to what had happened to him before. The visit started the very next day and there were actually three scheduled in one week. The couple was actually very nice. They interacted with Jesse pretty well and I truly held no malice against them because they too themselves wanted to adopt. But by the second visit, what I was scared of happening started to happen. I don't know how he knew, but somehow Jesse knew things weren't right. And once again, he started to show signs of shutting down. I think when this was happening, Jesse was almost two. He started to show signs of sleeping for 12 hours or more. He became very rigid when we t tried to hold or touch him. And I was so worried about him that I ran him into the emergency room. I explained to the doctor what was going on in my concerns. He did a very thorough examination of Jesse, who was somewhat lethargic at this time. And he ruled out, of course, an ear infection and the flu. He did a couple other things and then he left the room and came back. When he returned, he told me that he couldn't find anything physically wrong with Jesse. He suspected that the new situation was probably a little bit stressful for Jesse, and Jesse may be picking up on tension vibes or something from the adults around him. He suggested I try and keep Jesse's routine as normal as possible. I left the emergency room in tears. I pretty much already knew what was happening to Jesse when we left the emergency room. Um, we went to court and basically presented our case. What we were asking is for the state to leave Jesse in our placement until our court issues were resolved. The state basically argued that 
wouldn't be in the best interest of Jesse because there was no way they would ever approve us for adoption. Essentially, what we were basically asking for is to privately adopt Jesse from the state without any of the benefits. Usually when you adopt a child out of foster care, you get adoption support in the form of a monthly check and you get medical for the child until they are 18. We really didn't care about any of that. We felt that this move would negatively affect Jesse. Um, it was very apparent and clear to me from my first court appearance with our attorney that he really held no respect in the judicial community in which I lived. What the court awarded us was basically three days to put our case together and present it to the court. Um, there was absolutely no way I saw winning this case with my current attorney. So my mother went home and called an attorney in Seattle who had just won a huge case against the state in um, due to a foster kid that had brought charges. We went to Seattle the very next day. I took all my documentations and journals on Jesse. He read over everything and took my case. He immediately started firing off letters and making phone calls. I think we were able to get a court appearance within the next week. When we went to court, we were able to get the pre-adoptive visits stopped, which basically lifted a ton of bricks off my shoulder because I didn't have to see Jesse suffer anymore. And what it really boiled down to is the court sided with us and said that basically Jesse could stay in placement and we could adopt him even with the looming fraud court case coming up. The court basically said we could adopt Jesse because we had yet to present our defense in court or have our day in court to be proven guilty or innocent. Um, this really pissed DSHS off because they had basically just convicted us anyway and they vehemently denied our adoption. After several more preliminary hearings, our adoption day was set and on November 29th of 2007, Jesse legally became a Garamone. I think Jesse was about three and a half when we adopted him and James and I were so overjoyed to finally legally be his parents. Through this whole process, we always felt like we were looking over our shoulder and somebody was going to come in and take him from us at any minute. Once our adoption was finally taken care of and legalized, it was time to deal with our fraud case. As I said before, we were in and out of court with continuances for years. I think we were probably charged in about 2005 or 2006, and we went to court in either 2011 or 2012. I think Jesse was probably five and a half, almost six when this happened. Our case was allotted three days for a trial, but it took the state an excruciating five weeks to actually present their case. Our attorney made some very valid points in our defense. First, um, apparently the statute of limitations had run out on some of the charges and the state couldn't actually charge us the full amount. They were only asking for 30,000 of it back. But just a few years earlier, I had actually offered to hand them a check for the full amount. Another point our attorneys brought up 
is that there was actually a form filled out in 1999 where my IRA was checked for a total of $5,000. And had the financial worker caught it at that time, my services would have ceased and desisted then, but nobody caught it. When cross-examining my adult services caseworker, who had claimed I had never disclosed anything to her about my um, lawsuit or settlement, my attorney made the point and asked her how she thought I was paying for things like a car and a wedding, um, because apparently I only had Social Security and James was in school full-time. So this line of questioning basically led to um, my worker reporting me when she had seen my house and my attorney wanted to know well you reported her when you saw her house but how come when she bought a new car in cash and paid for her wedding in cash you didn't say anything then my worker said she was confused and she couldn't understand how I paid for my house which is why she reported me even though I had shared all of my plans with her and told her everything, to this day she still denies that I never told her anything. I guess in an earlier deposition, our attorneys had uncovered that my social worker or adult services worker had actually been jealous of my home. I think the point my attorney was trying to make was that we weren't hiding assets from anybody because we were freely sharing them with my caseworker and she could have reported us at any point in time for any number of things. Our attorneys had to call Mr. B, my medical malpractice lawyer, out of sequence because he could only be here in Washington to testify at a certain time due to his own personal trial schedule. He explained to the court how my settlement was set up. It basically boils down to this. He set up my money to be considered compensation for the loss of my eyesight and never to be considered income. I paid taxes on it once and I never had to pay taxes on it again. I guess Mr. B said that he actually set up most of his clients um, similarly to the way he set me up because usually most clients still need additional services after the lawsuit and they usually qualify for them. At the end of the five weeks when the prosecution was done presenting their case, it was our turn to present a defense. First though, our attorneys filed several motions to be heard before we started. The first motion was for dismissal on the fraud charges because the IRA had actually been claimed in 1999 and the worker had failed to catch it. The second motion was to dismiss the welfare fraud charges or conspiracy to commit it because there was actually a word missing in our charging document and you couldn't actually tell what the state was charging us with. Our lawyers thought that these motions were actually shot in the dark, but it was worth giving a try. As James and I were sitting there holding hands and breathing, we all of a sudden heard the words dismissal on the fraud charge. Oh my God. Um, the prosecution was absolutely outraged and they started uh, basically ranting about how our IRA was only um, claimed on one document. The uh, judge then said, excuse me, in a very stern voice, I wasn't done with my ruling yet.
The judge told the prosecution that it didn't matter. The state overlooked it and failed to do their job and stop my services then. On the second charge, we were actually dismissed as well on a technicality. My mother was so happy she practically jumped for joy in the courtroom. James and I were just breathing and happy that it was all over. The only thing our attorney and James and I were worried about is being dismissed on the technicality because the state could appeal it and try and get it overturned, which is of course exactly what the state did. For the next three years, they appealed it through appellate courts until they finally got the dismissal overturned. We found ourselves back in court about four years later. I think it was 2014 and 2015. What a fucking nightmare. We are already up to our eyeballs in debt in lawyer's fees. Our adoption for Jesse had cost our family about $60,000. I think our defense in our fraud case had cost us over $100,000. James and I had to actually refinance our house to pay a portion of the bill and we were still making payments to our attorney. James and I didn't want to do this again and we absolutely could not afford it. Our attorney couldn't take our case unless we made higher payments on our bill, which uh, basically added up to about $1,000 a month, which of course James and I couldn't afford. So we had to make a choice and we let our house go into foreclosure. My mother, of course, was still being a stubborn ass. She couldn't see how her pride was affecting James and I financially. She just thought everything was going to work out and be fine. James and I, however, on the other hand, were not so sure. We told our attorney if there was any way we could cut a deal with the state without my mom, we would absolutely do that. We were able to actually save our house through Obama's Making Homes Affordable Refinance Plan, but James and I were actually still struggling with the $1,000 a month payment. We began to fall behind on our attorney payments. Our attorney wasn't happy that we fell behind on our bills, so he did a little finagling and put a junior partner in charge of our case so our bill wouldn't rack up so much. We still couldn't afford it and we were paying what we could. I begged and pleaded with my mom to please cut a deal. She of course was still stubborn and she had just hired herself a new attorney. My mother, of course, thought everything would be fine and work out. Um, what she didn't realize is that James and I were not willing to go through this again, nor could we afford it. We really had no choice. We had to make a deal with the prosecution, which I absolutely hated because I had to do it behind my mother's back. My mother would just not be reasonable. So in exchange for our testimony, mine and James, against my mother in her trial, the state was willing to dismiss our charges and give us community service. It was so excruciatingly painful for me to agree to testify against my mother, I cried for days. The only reason I actually did it, because it didn't really matter no matter what side I was standing on, my testimony was never going to help my mother. She didn't understand that she had filled out all the paperwork and no matter what she said in person, the paperwork looked damning. It looked very, very um, much like a crime had been committed. The week we met with the prosecution to tell them 
basically what we would be testifying to was so excruciatingly painful. I knew my mother and her attorney was going to be uh, blindsided and I knew the fallout with my family was going to be epic. First, my younger brother called me and I was cussed out by him. Thanks, dude. Second, my grandmother called me and she just couldn't fathom or understand how I was going to testify against my own mother. I told my grandma, look, James and I don't see things the way my mom does or the way everybody else does. It doesn't really matter what my worker did or didn't know. My mother filled out the paperwork and the state had everything they needed to convict in the paperwork that she filled out. I told my grandmother that nobody can see past my mom professing her innocence and playing the victim against the state's retaliatory nature. I told my grandmother that personally I wasn't willing to put my line on the line for my mother. My grandmother then asked me, how did the state get you to lie for them? I explained to my grandmother, um, they didn't. I told my grandmother everything I was going to say at my mother's trial, I would have said even if I was on trial alongside my mother. That's the one thing I told my grandmother that my mom had never understood. My testimony was absolutely never going to help her. My grandmother then informed me that my mom was pretty much furious and she thought that my mom wasn't going to want to talk to me for a while. I told my grandmother, you know what, I wish that somebody would stop and take a look at this situation from my perspective and see what I see. My family eventually got over themselves and finally forgave me. My mother, of course, blamed my attorney for this move and she basically said that he was money hungry. I didn't even have the energy or strength to explain to her that we owed him so much and the payments we were making were never going to make a dent. He was basically working for pennies and we would be paying his bill until we died. I actually just recently learned here in March of 2022 that my entire bill was written off by my attorney's law office. I actually called to double check and see if there had been a mistake made, but they said no, they actually wrote off my entire debt. I apologize profusely and thank them for doing so. I believe my mom went to trial in the early part of 2016. James and I did our due diligence and we testified for the prosecution. On the day the verdict was read, James and I stayed at home and our attorney called and told us that my mom, of course, as I predicted, was found guilty. I was extremely concerned and worried for my mom. I thought she might actually do some jail time. At the time, I was currently pregnant with her what would soon to be third grandchild and I didn't want her to have to meet her new grandchild from a jailhouse visiting room. We were present in court the day of the sentencing. The court was pretty lenient on my mom because she was a first time offender. They gave her community services, fines, and she of course had to pay the amount the state was asking for back. Finally, after 10 plus years of our life, this court case was actually over. James finished up his community service and mine was dismissed due to my pregnancy, which we will discuss in a different episode, and my disability. 
We got our dismissal papers and breathed a sigh of relief because we actually had it on paper that it was finally over for us. This was an absolute horrific time in my life and I still bear a lot of remorse and guilt that I received services I was not entitled to, that money could have gone to somebody else who was more in need than me. The one thing I will never understand about all this is that the state spent 10 plus years prosecuting us when I had offered to pay the full amount back in the beginning. They could have probably saved a lot of taxpayer dollars, which they probably wasted more than $60,000, and just taken the full amount back. I guess I will just never understand why they wasted all that time and all those resources when they could have had the full amount back. I guess I think differently and the state had their own reasons.